0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh,
1: oh, O'Reilly Auto Parts. You wanted a chance to make law? Well, here it is. Make it a good one. No. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. We have your name on the registration. No, you don't. Don't be ridiculous. Networks don't get to decide election. Courts do.
2: Yada's. I'm not some slick big city lawyer like my opponent here.
1: Okay. What just happened? You kind of confessed. Sorry. And I find you guilty. Bring out the wheel of punishment! Welcome to Opening Arguments, a podcast that pairs a comedian with a real-life lawyer. This podcast is sponsored by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres LLC for entertainment purposes, is not intended as legal advice, and does not form an attorney-client relationship. Don't take legal advice from a podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to Opening Arguments. This is episode 471. I'm Thomas. That's Andrew. How are you doing, sir? I'm fantastic, Thomas. How are you? I'm great. I, you know, we've got some law to break down for you. Why don't we uh, Why don't we get to it? Let's hit it. Breaking.
0: Down. The law down. The law down. The law. Down. So- This is Texas Executive Order GA-34, and I'm covering it for a number of reasons, the the largest of which is this is so much worse than you – think it is based on the coverage in the press. Um, But there is happily uh, at least one thing that our listeners in Texas can do about it. So trying to give a little bit of a silver lining. But this is um, this is an executive order that is designed to get people killed. Wow, We're going to link it in the show notes. It has 10 operative paragraphs. It deludes you, you know, it tricks you in the very beginning, right? So it says, in all counties, not in an area with high hospitalizations as defined below, there are no COVID-19 related operating limits for any business or other establishment. Period. Individuals are strongly encouraged to wear face coverings, it says, but no person may be required by any jurisdiction to wear or mandate the wearing of a face covering. And then it defines areas with high hospitalizations, and I'm going to cover that in a minute. But you're sitting there, at least if you're me, and you're reading it and you're going, okay, well, at least it differentiates between. And then I, I sort of let that ellipsis hang in the air because paragraph two says in any county located in an area with high hospitalizations. A, there are no state-imposed COVID-19-related operating limits for any business or other establishment. So I want to let that sink in for a minute. And now I'm going to go back to the Definition of areas with high hospitalizations, what Texas did, because they have 300 different counties, is they divided the states in the state into 22 different trauma service areas that sort of roughly correspond with major metropolitan areas. And that TSA tracks their reported they are required to report the percentage of hospitalizations due to covid. Now, let me define how, that, how they calculate that percentage due to COVID. It is the percentage of diagnosed positive tests for COVID mm-hmm. over the total number of beds. So uh, it is designed to be as small a number as possible. Total number of beds, like that they have, or just total available, like open, empty. No, a, a total number that they have. Right? Okay. So the idea is how much of the hospital capacity are COVID nineteen patients. But notice, right, if you come in with all the COVID symptoms and they start treating you, but they haven't given you the test yet, mm-hmm. you you don't show up in the numerator. Areas with high hospitalizations means any TSA that has had seven consecutive days, right? Counting today, in which the num- in which that ratio, the, the number of, of COVID-19 patients as a percentage of total hospital capacity exceeds 15%. Now, 15% is a terrible, huge high number. And As you might suspect when you delve into the TSA numbers, it's 10 to 12% in Dallas. It's 12 to 13% in Houston, right? And Dallas has, you know, 2 million people in that TSA, right? So the numbers are off the charts high, but they're only above 15% in three different TSAs out of 22, Culberson, El Paso, and Hudspeth. And again... Doesn't really matter if they are, or they aren't, because under paragraph two, uh, there are no state imposed COVID 19 relating operating limits, even if you are in one of these high uh, hospitalization areas. However, the, the one SOP they have is that the county judge may use COVID-19 related mitigation strategies in a in a high TSA subject to the following provisions. Number one, businesses may not be required to operate at less than 50 percent of total occupancy with no operating limits on churches, of course, public schools or institutions of higher education and child care services. Number two, no jurisdiction may impose confinement in jail as a penalty for violating any order, and no jurisdiction may impose a penalty of any kind for failure to wear a face covering or failure to mandate that customers or employees wear face coverings, except that a legally authorized official may act to enforce trespassing laws and remove violation violators at, at the request of a business establishment or other property owner. I could go through the rest of it. The The important paragraph for our listeners is paragraph four, which says nothing in this executive order precludes businesses or other establishments from requiring employees or customers to follow additional hygiene measures, including the wearing of a face covering. Oh, yeah, so at least there's that. Yeah. If you, uh, yeah, right. Libertarian paradise to the rescue. Right. So if you own a business, Or you make decisions in a business and you have individuals – I'll delete all the adjectives that I was about to insert there – who are going to come stomping up to your place of business, uh, unmasked, sneezing on stuff, licking stuff, and probably carrying a copy uh, of this executive order in their hand. Post the full executive order in your window, on your front door, and highlight paragraph four. Because you, as a business owner, as a property owner, have the right under this executive order to impose additional restrictions.
2: Oh, maybe I missed it. I thought that said you could require your employees to do it. Did it also yep. say? Yep, employees and customers. And customer. Oh, okay. Sorry, yep. I missed it. I just wanted to make sure because I, you know, I, you never know with Texas. Like I was, yep. I
0: was wondering if they were
2: going to like not even allow that.
0: That's right. So look, this is really, really bad. And I will tell you, paragraph nine does a thing that I didn't expect, which is suspends the determination of a state of emergency under two provisions of the Texas Code, 418.1015 and 418.108. And that prevents local officials from implementing their own higher restrictions, right? So it says those are all suspended, quote, to the extent necessary to ensure that local officials do not impose restrictions in response to the COVID-19 disaster that are inconsistent with this executive order, end of quote. Now, if I were the mayor of Houston, I would certainly use the fact that this EO differentiates between high county and 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 non uh, high county hospitalizations uh, to try and and impose uh, stronger requirements. But the the plain intent of this is not just we're removing the state restrictions. It is we're removing the state restrictions and we're preventing sensible local officials from doing anything about it. Even if you're in an area where. 13% of your hospital beds are to confirmed COVID cases, which is in the red disaster zone as identified by the CDC, right? Like when you have 13% of your hospital spaces taken up by, by COVID patients, that's awful. That is an untenable uh, oh, wow. situation. I would have said so, that
2: was low, but I guess I don't understand how hospitals yeah, well, work. <laughs> be,
0: right, because, I mean, think about it. Like It is incredibly rare to have – one single diagnosis, right? Like hospital work goes on, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Hospitals had people before this.
0: Yes, exactly. And so having 10 percent of your beds taken up by covid patients is strains the system to its breaking point. Right. Because hospitals generally do not have that much surplus capacity. So, yeah, it's worse than I expected from Greg Abbott, which says a lot. But you can lobby your employer not to be an idiot not to be an idiot to you and your fellow employees and also not to be an idiot if you are forward facing and serve the public. So that that's how I would recommend you protect yourself and you talk to the decision maker if if you're one of our Texas listeners and I'm I'm really sorry that you know your health and those around you are being used as a political football.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's got to be what this is, right? I mean, the, after just trying to deflect from the disaster that just happened that is largely Republicans' fault, is this just an attempt to deflect from that, I wonder?
0: Yeah, and relatedly, Greg Abbott today uh, went on Twitter to blame—who do you think that—it's uh, oh, a twofer uh, for, for— For what? Uh, for rising—for for soon-to-be-rising COVID, ca- rising COVID oh, cases yeah. in his
2: state— uh-huh. I have no idea. Who would you, Dr. Seuss? Uh.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, that's not bad. But if you picked illegal aliens and Joe Biden, that would be the winner because Joe Biden is releasing hundreds of illegal aliens into Texas. Like, um, Oh, is he? Know. Well, then maybe yeah. you better
2: mask up. Yeah. Like even under your stupid theory. Oh, wow, sounds like there's a bunch of uh, immigrants with COVID better uh, declare a mask mandate, you dummy. Yep. Gosh, it's bad.
0: So there you go, GA34, no restrictions and no provisions for local restrictions, but at least you were still free to make reasonable restrictions on your own property. They haven't taken that from you yet.
2: Uh, you can have my COVID restrictions when you pry them from my cold dead. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Okay. Well, that's depressing. Uh we wish yep. our our techs and listeners say, "Oh gosh, you've had you've had a rough go, haven't you?" yeah Check some listeners I hope you're doing okay you don't deserve this no
0: no definitely not this is America's day this is democracy's day that you can let the science speak it is somewhat of a liberating feeling we will be back in some form will you Who shut is up, up man listen? you're a lying dog-faced pony soldier
2: this isn't happening this isn't real
0: no it's it's happening and I'm delighted to have you here
2: So tell us about H.R. 1. I hope this is the thing that will finally kill the filibuster, but I don't know if that's going to (laughs) happen.
0: As we are recording this uh, late last week while you're listening, the House has passed H.R. 1, which is the Equality Act, not the... John Lewis Voting Rights Act. That's still pending. The distinction between the two is that the the John Lewis Voting Rights Act would restore Section five of the Voting Rights Act that was gutted by the Supreme Court's opinion in Shelby County versus Holder in 2013. Reminder that that was a John Roberts decision, right? Like John Roberts is still not your friend. Section five was what required jurisdictions that have historically restricted the right to vote to go to a court. In Washington D.C. and get pre-clearance yeah. before they could put in additional restrictions makes perfect sense. Uh, and all of a sudden in 2013, John Roberts said, "No, court- <laughs> Dad, yeah. states states aren't suppressing the vote anymore. Are you are you crazy?" And so that the the John Lewis Voting Rights Act is still pending in the House. What has passed the House, however, is really really good bill called
2: the Equality Act. One more question on the voting rights thing. Sorry. Uh, but I've been – so I'm reading a book that's that's talked about this lately, and uh, it's, it's really just a tragedy uh, how much the court has fallen short on voting rights in this country, the Supreme Court. And uh, I'm wondering, is there anywhere in the John Lewis Voting Rights Act a restriction on the uh, voter roll purges? Because that is – also, an atrocity is that something federally they can say, "Hey, don't do that," or is that a states' rightsy thing that that, that you're not allowed to restrict?
0: Actually, Thomas, that that is the perfect segue Holy moly. to. H.R. 1, because H.R. 1 contains, among its many, many good provisions, restrictions on how states can limit uh, removing voters from the polls. No one's going to believe
2: this, but we absolutely did not plan that. Like, I just happened to be reading a book that talked about this, like, last (laughs) night. (laughs) Okay, that's awesome. It it
0: is. H.R. 1 is the wish list of good governance in terms of... Ending practices that are designed to suppress the vote. So it expands voter registration. It expands voting access, vote by mail, early voting. It curtails purging voters from the voter rolls. It has provisions about Responsible use of how to secure elections, right? How to share information between your state election officials, um, how to support states in securing their election systems, developing a national strategy to prevent against, I don't know, hypothetically, a hostile foreign power engaging in cyber attacks on our systems. It's a fantastic bill. It, It has sections about campaign finance. But the part I want to emphasize, because this is sort of cleverer than than I was, is uh, I want to emphasize section 2413. That is on page 311 of the bill. (laughs) <laughs> the bill is, you know, a, uh, a taut 791 pages. But the part I want you to go to and read is section 311. It's actually it's the whole section from section 2411 to 2415. Uh, it's about 40, 43 pages. And what it does is it requires that all states conduct their redistricting through the use of nonpartisan independent redistricting commissions. Every single state, um, so we don't have to play hardball piecemeal state by state. You know, let's squeeze a couple more. You know, members of Congress out of New York and California. And It, it says let's let's put into place everywhere a level playing field for everybody. And Section twenty four thirteen is how those commissions uh, will go about deciding drawing their district so th- there's 30 pages of how you select the commissions and just trust me take take my word for it we when when, when this passes uh, if it passes I will explain exactly how this operates but in the interim I, I want to tell you it, it's as it's as good a set of criteria for ensuring that the commissions are nonpartisan uh, as you can get. So, for example, Thomas and I would be prohibited from serving on one of these redistricting wow. uh, commissions. And we should be. We run a partisan radio show. Like, it's obvious we would have the thumb on the scale for the Democrats. So um, it's it's a good setup. And it says that the redistricting commission should consider, A, first, you've got to equalize the population. B, Then you have to comply with the Voting Rights Act of 1965. C, districts shall provide racial, ethnic, and language minorities – An equal opportunity to participate in the political process and to elect candidates of choice and shall not dilute or diminish their ability to elect candidates of choice, whether alone or in coalition with others. Right. So that's designed to prevent uh, cracking, spreading minorities out into a bunch of different jurisdictions uh, to try and and diminish their uh, their political vote. And then this is kind of a, a, a contiguousness rule. D, it says. Districts shall respect communities of interest, neighborhoods, and political subdivisions to the extent practicable and after compliance with the, the first three. Right. A community of interest is defined as an area with recognized similarities of interests, including but not limited to ethnic, racial, economic, tribal, social, cultural, geographic or historic identities. So no more of this like, you know, yeah, we're going to run the district halfway down the street and we're going to take a third of Philadelphia and combine it with the suburbs. And no, Um, to the extent practicable, keep keep communities together, have people in a neighborhood voting for the candidate that represents their neighborhood that's the way it used to be yeah hypothetically doesn't
2: that make a whole lot of sense that if you represent yeah. a district the district should make some kind of logical freaking sense and it yeah. shouldn't be Didn't like you, you know oh your next door neighbor different representative but then the person after that same representative but then the across the street different representative because you've
0: gerrymandered the uh, clown horn out of it yep and and look Maryland is terrible on this. Yeah. Um I it, it, it when I go down the street, it changes over the, the congressional district, even though, you know, I mean, literally it's a it's a it's it's what I do when I'm jogging, right? <laughs> um I cross uh, at least into one other congressional district. And it shouldn't be that way.
2: Yeah, but side note, uh we absolutely should in every democratically controlled state gerrymander the F out of it because that's the only Until way. Until this passes. Yep. Yeah. So, no, yep. no,
0: No disagreement there. Uh, That's part of hardball. So that's kind of point one, the factors that the commission is empowered to consider. The commission explicitly, quote, (laughs) is prohibited from favoring or disfavoring of political parties right there in the bill. No, no more to the victor go the spoils. You cannot use partisan considerations uh, in drawing your district. Um, And then there are a bunch of lists of ways to increase transparency. So the commissions are required to have their meetings be open to the public. They are required to publish their findings. They are required to have a public notice and comment period, you know, all the kinds of things we typically associate with doing things. Things out in the open. Is this perfect? No. Is it a billion times better than anything we have? Yes, it is. Yeah. And look, this is the kind of thing. If what we're fighting over in the next three weeks is the Senate's failure to pass H.R. 1, also sometimes called the For the People Act, and the Senate's failure to take up and and pass a $15 an hour minimum wage. Those are really good grounds to be fighting on as Democrats, right? To say, hey look, we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to make changes to the filibuster. We're going to have to do something because we have policies that are broadly popular with 60-80% to of the country and we're being stymied by a handful of republicans and an arcane rule system from the 19th century that was never intended to be like this um and so you know you you build your case you build your political capital that way we'll keep an eye on it and and believe me notwithstanding last week's episode right if joe biden is fighting insufficiently hard for these we will hold his feet to the fire but um let's give him a chance first
2: these are issues that if they're not going to Break the filibuster for that, then there. What are you then doing? What are they Just gonna leave do? Washington. Yeah. Why even yeah. there? Why do you have a job? What's the point? Every week we're doing an extra opening arguments. You know how we're going to be on the Stereo app Wednesdays at five p.m. Pacific, eight p.m. Eastern. We're going to be on the Stereo app answering your questions and you're going to be a part of the show. I am so excited for it.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. The Stereo app is really cool. What you do is you download the app, you sign up, look for me. I am at Torres, T-O-R-R-E-Z. Thomas is at Pod, and you'll get the little notifications of when we're about to go live, and you can talk to us live and ask us questions. So you know we're looking for ways to increase that interactivity with you. This is not replace our monthly Q and A's. We're going to continue to do that, but this is just us being able to get out, bring you more of the show, bring you that content and have you interact with us uh, live.
2: But this is exclusive to the stereo app. So you got to get on that, go find that at your app store, whatever app store you use. I am so excited to hear from you. You guys get to be a part of the show. Ask us whatever. There are so many issues. There's even more stuff to cover now than ever. You know? It's, a, it's a, in a weird way. You know, People were worried what we talked about after Trump, but without that clown horn
0: clogging up the Twitterverse, there's even more cool stuff to talk about. Absolutely. So make sure you join us over on Stereo. That is... Every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Stereo app. Look for me. I'm at Torres. Look for Thomas at SiriusPod or just start searching for opening arguments. You will come across it, and we'd love to see you there. Thank you, Dr. Hibbert. I rest my case.
2: You rest your case?
0: What? Oh, no. I thought that was just a figure of speech. Case closed.
2: Okay Andrew it's time to break down the oh, this 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 case some of the oral argument i think traveled in meme form of republicans <laughs> arguing you know of, of Amy Coney Barrett who who shouldn't be there asking why does do republicans have an interest in restricting votes and the answer was essentially well cuz otherwise we
0: can't win Did I mischaracterize that? Why don't you give us the breakdown? Okay, so you did not mischaracterize it, but I think that we we do need a little bit of of context regarding the question. So two hours of oral argument last week in Brnovich versus DNC. I listened to it, so you don't have to. Um, (laughs) I am well on record, even when I've been wrong, as saying that uh, I think oral arguments are not a reliable barometer for how the court is going to rule. I expect to be correct in this case because a bunch of sources are sort of saying like, well, you know, Amy Coney Barrett asked some awfully tough questions. Yeah, right. Like, that's what judges do do right like it It you know good judges and look like i i have never suggested that the problem with amy coney barrett is that she's not smart enough to be on the supreme court i think yeah she that's probably Clarence is thomas yeah true <laughs> there is nothing that suggests that amy coney barrett is the kind of brilliant you want on the supreme court right like it should be reserved for like our very best and brightest. There's nothing about in Amy Cody Barrett's career that leads me to believe that she is one of you know the nine smartest lawyers in the country. Uh, but you know, is she smarter than Clarence Thomas? Yes, of course she is, <laughs> right? And, and none of us know anything about how she conducted herself uh, on the bench in the Seventh Circuit. If you do, if you or if you argued in front of her, um, drop us an email. I'd I'd love to know that because I have been in front of many many judges who. I would put on a certain ideological side of the spectrum, but it doesn't mean that, that, you know, that judges have a personality and some judges are rough on you with their questions. Uh, and some judges are, are are easy on you. And, and, you know, some judges go two decades without without saying a single thing. Yeah. (laughs) Although again, we got to give Clarence Thomas credit, right? Like, no, yeah, we (laughs) we do not have to. Um, (laughs) He has been a, an active participant with the COVID, you know, Zoom oral arguments. And while we're on, this is the last I'm going to say about Clarence Thomas. This is foreshadowing to where I think this case is coming out. In any voting rights case, you look at Clarence Thomas's argument, not anyone else's, because Clarence Thomas is the person who uh, has compiled a slightly idiosyncratic voting record on uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And if you look at the questions that Thomas asked, you're going to see as I break this down that they they fall squarely in line with the conservative side of the argument. So I, 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 I do not, at the end of the day, uh, I think the Democrats are going to lose this case six to three, and mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about how, how they're going to lose it and what's going to happen um, as, as I break it down. So we talked about the John Lewis Voting Rights Act is designed to restore Section 5. Since there's no Section 5, <laughs> all of the litigation right now is over Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which is codified at 52 U.S.C. one hundred three hundred one, and it's pretty straightforward, right? It says no procedure shall be imposed or applied by any state. In a manner which results in a denial or abridgment of the right of any citizen of the United States to vote on account of race, color, or—and then there's a cross-reference, but it means to a a language minority. And then that's subsection A. And then subsection B says— A violation of subsection A can be established if, based on the totality of the circumstances, it is shown that the processes are not equally open to participation by members of a class of citizens protected in subsection A, in that its members have less opportunity than other members of the electorate to participate in the political process and to elect representatives of their choice. You might be saying, gosh, Andrew, that that seems pretty broad (laughs) Um, and you're, you're damn right it seems pretty broad. And this conservative, just calling balls and strikes, original intent, strict, strict textualists are going to read into a law that explicitly says, quote, if based on a totality of the totality of the circumstances, end of quote, um, they are going to read out that requirement as a matter of law. And I'm going to tell you how and why. So what's the case about? Cases is about two separate Arizona laws that are designed to suppress the vote. One is very obvious as to as to why it suppresses the vote. And it is a provision of the Arizona code uh, that is known as the out of precinct policy. Here's the way in which that works. Most voters in Arizona are assigned to vote at a particular precinct. Every election in person, people get that wrong. Right. Mm. They show up to precinct number five. They're supposed to vote in precinct number four. There is evidence in the record, by the way, that precincts are, quote, sometimes located so counterintuitively that voters easily make mistakes, end of quote. But but look, you know, you, you show up at the precinct. They say, oh, Thomas Smith, you're not listed on our voter rolls. You say, well, I'm definitely registered to vote and they hand you a provisional ballot. And then you fill out that provisional ballot and you hand it back in. And then the question is, what happens to that provisional ballot? Suppose – that there, are, so there are a couple of different things that, 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 that could then happen. Um, it could be determined that you were not registered to vote. And if it's determined that you're not registered to vote, everybody agrees even though – I think this is a terrible outcome, that that gets thrown away. Even if the state has same-day registration, if you failed to do it in the right order and you're not registered to vote and you cast a vote by a provisional ballot, it gets thrown away. Also possible that you were eligible, you did register to vote, you were eligible to vote in that precinct, um, and they just didn't have your name on the list for some reason, Mm. then the ballot counts, right? And it gets add it back in. But what about the hybrid situation in which you were eligible to vote, but you should have voted in Precinct 5 and you voted in Precinct 4 by accident? Email that on over to Precinct 5. You would think, but here is, and let's make the best Republican argument, right? Um, The best Republican argument is, suppose Precinct 5 is because of the way gerrymandering works. Uh, precinct five is in a different congressional district. Uh, is in a different county. Has different ballot questions. Has different candidates. Ah, uh, right. true. Yep. So the way most states do it is they throw out any of the of, of the part of your ballot that's not on precinct five. Yeah, that's fair. But they keep your votes for president vice president governor lieutenant governor attorney general S- senate right statewide if the if it's the same congressional district mm-hmm. uh, you know for your member of congress right um you you just lose the parts that are on the ballot in precinct 4 when you should have voted in precinct 5 in arizona they throw the whole ballot away oh god and evidence Presented, cited by the Ninth Circuit, is um, in the last three elections, 2020, 2018, 2016, Native Americans, Hispanics, and African Americans in Arizona were twice as likely as whites to vote outside of the <sighs> precinct to which they'd been assigned and therefore have their votes not counted. Um, and the total number of ballots in 2016, right, that you might imagine they didn't have 2020 final ballots, right, mm-hmm. were 3,709. So not a ton, but not a not a ton, but not zero. Yeah, that's the first law, the out of precinct law. The second is a tougher one until you dig beneath the surface, and it is a ballot harvesting law, and it's it makes it a felony, punishable by two years in prison. $150,000 $150,000 fine to collect and deliver another person's completed ballots with exceptions for imminent family members uh, and, and you know, mail carriers. It, and you mean officials. immediate family members? Or? Yes, I did mean immediate family members. <laughs> do, not, do not ask me where I came up with. Uh, There's soon to be your family. Member. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's imminent, you
2: know. I swear. Maybe you're about to be married.
0: I don't know yeah but that's and that's what the exception is for right like i can carry grandma's ballot to the yeah. you know to the ballot box and look harvesting is sometimes used particularly in areas with megachurches to evil effect, right? Like you, when, whenever you have a group of people rounding up somebody else's ballots, uh, there is the potential for mischief. There is the potential for undue influence. The megachurches are real simple, right? Like they hand out ballots uh, during their Wednesday services and then walk down and collect them. And, you know, it's super easy to see like, oh, you appear to have put your mark for president in the wrong place, right? And a bipartisan presidential commission, Jimmy Carter and Bob Dole, as as you might imagine with Bob Dole being on that, several decades ago listed ballot harvesting as a a negative practice. However, in Arizona, you have the unique situation in which 4.5% of the state's population is Native American, and that equates to – 27.1% of the land in Arizona is tribal land. I did not know that more than a quarter of Arizona is tribal land. Wow. Uh, It is nearly 20 million acres. And so lots of Native American voters entitled to cast legal ballots do not have access to regular mail services. In fact, as the Ninth Circuit noted, only 18% of Native American voters in the state have access to regular mail services. So a large, and again, I'm quoting from the Ninth Circuit here, a large and disproportionate number of minority voters relied on these ballot harvesting processes to collect and deliver their early by mail ballots. And there was no evidence of fraud, no evidence of people making sure like, oh, yeah, well, we'll collect ballots, but, you know, only if they're, you know, for Hillary Clinton. And no. It was designed in in historical context to sort of remedy this issue of um, a a significant chunk of the electorate, right? Almost 5% um, living on uh, tribal land and reservations without access to U.S. mail. And 80% of Arizona voters voted early by mail in the 2016 presidential election, in 2016. So Arizona is a vote-by-mail state. And those things, I think, compel taking a tougher look at the ballot harvesting. So the Ninth Circuit got together on bonk and applied a two-part test to see whether these statutes violated the Voting Rights Act. And that two-part test was, uh, number one, does a, the, the law impose a disparate burden on a, quote, more than de minimis number of minority voters, end of quote. Right. And so think about in both of these cases, you know, you have not changing the election levels of results, but you have thousands of voters who are disproportionately burdened. Right. And then if if that's the case, right, if it's affected a significant number of people, then the plaintiff must show that under the totality of the circumstances, that's repeating the language from the statute that I read to you, there is some relationship between the law as a tool of voter suppression and, quote, social and historical considerations, end of quote. And that makes total sense, right? That's that's how you suppress in a state. You look at it and go, oh, yeah, um, in our state, you know, minorities tend to vote heavily on Saturday. We're going to close all the Saturday precincts. And if you were to do that, that that would then potentially run afoul of the Voting Rights Act under the formulation as applied by the Ninth Circuit. And that seems right, right? Like it yeah. seems like exactly the kind of thing you would want the Supreme Court to step in uh, and, and stop. Um, so that was what was being defended by uh, the Arizona Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, and by the DNC. The RNC feels the exact opposite. <laughs> and this is where um, that that question from Amy Coney Barrett came up. Um, it was actually a question about standing. And it was a good question. Hmm. Uh, w- what was really telling was that the answer was not met with, like, howls of laughter or uh, you just said the quiet part loud, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, Amy Coney was Barrett just, was like,
2: sh- that wasn't you. Were, uh.
0: Yeah, uh, kind of. So Justice Barrett says, "I understand why the DNC is a party to this case because they are arguing that their voters are disproportionately burdened. Um, they're not being able to cast ballots uh, on the same level playing field as uh, as white voters." What are you RNC doing here? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing here? Yeah. What is it you would say you do yeah. here, right? And 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 the RNC lawyer said without a trace of <laughs> irony. This is a zero sum game. Every vote for the Democrats is a vote that's, you know, uh, uh, makes it harder for us to win. And then he went on. (laughs) Is that how the law works? Like standing wise? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There would be a really, really good argument here that the RNC lacks standing. It will not affect – the Supreme Court kicks cases out on standing when, when they want to, <laughs> Yeah, um, and uh, I do not think they want this rule to stand. So I do not think that standing is going to wind up being a problem. I think they're going to address it in a single sentence. Um, it may show up in, uh, in one of the dissents, but this case will not get kicked out on standing. Here's the argument that Brinovich was making. Okay and 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 I I wanted to distill down his argument because if you've read any of the reporting on this it's all over the place and it's terrible and there were questions and that's because part of what supreme court justices do when they ask questions is pose hypotheticals right and so you pose hypotheticals of things like poll tax, literacy taxes, right? You know, what level of intent is required, right? But you're drilling down to look for inconsistencies. And if you're not a lawyer, like, it's easy to get distracted by Brett Kavanaugh setting up, you know, kind of an elaborate series of like, no, I want you to answer this hypothetical and then this one and then this one. Here's what it comes down to. Brenovich is arguing that the proper standard is not, is there a disparate burden On a more than de minimis number of minority voters that rather that first step should be that whether in light of the state's entire voting apparatus, the racially disparate impact of the law is substantial and write that word down, put a little asterisk by it, because this is the test that the Supreme Court is going to come back with. They're going to adopt Brinovich's argument, uh, like I said, 6-3. And much like they've done with abortion rights, they're going to set this up as the key and the path forward for Republicans to eviscerate voting rights going into the future, right? And that is the death of a thousand cuts, right? Like, as long as the one law you pass here is not substantial, Well, keep passing them, right? Yeah. Pass 75 different insubstantial ones. And the net effect is a substantial rigging of the field in favor of Republicans and, and, and against Democrats. So this was the argument Brinovich made in open court. Number one, first test should be, is it substantial? Is that word found in the statute? Absolutely not. And crucial, and Brinovich made this argument, that restrictions in one area of the law could be outweighed by benefits in the existing law. So he specifically mentioned the fact that, right, he said, look, Arizona is a vote-by-mail state. So early voting and voting-by-mail helps expand access to minorities. So if the legislature decided that they were going to cut back, you know, close the polls a half an hour early, and it were determined that that had an adverse impact on minorities – I would argue that that is nevertheless justified because the reason they're doing that is because minorities are voting by mail, right? So, in other words, the the expanded access elsewhere outweighs the restricted access in this particular law. Again, is any of this present in the Voting Rights Act? Absolutely not. And then you have to meet both tests. So, so Brenovich says, number one, you got to show that this is substantially burdening a minority group. In light of the overall voting system, which is a huge burden. And then two, you have to show that the challenged law, quote, is responsible for the substantial disparate impact on minority voters. Right. In other words, that's a but for causation. Brinovich specifically said an oral argument that you only punish the legislature for their own discrimination, not for discrimination by others. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking. So what you're saying is the legislature can take advantage of private discrimination. The answer is 100 percent yes, that's what Brinovich was arguing in favor of. And did Kavanaugh, Thomas, Roberts or Barrett ask that follow up question? Absolutely, they did not. I mentioned Clarence Thomas again. Uh, The one substantive question that he asked of uh, the attorney secretary, the the secretary of state uh, lawyer, so on the side of the DNC was as a percentage of the voting population, how many people did the out of precinct regulation affect? Right, and we saw that that number was thirty seven hundred. And the lawyer Jessica Amundsen, who who did an excellent job with the argument, by the way, Jessica Amundson said, "Yes, that's that's zero point fifteen percent." And you could hear Thomas sort of scoff at the oh. you say. Um, And that is where, uh, again, I want to be wrong on this, but that is where I think the court is going to come out. I think it's going to reverse the Ninth Circuit. It's going to craft a new test. Um, And remember – Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act says, based on the totality of the circumstances, but I think they're going to adopt uh, a a significance test and a but-for test and then send it back to the Ninth Circuit and say, okay, now you tell me how these laws are going to stand up in light of the fact that we've, clarif- quote, clarified uh, how these rules are to be applied. Um, and that will validate the did, Republican strategy. Did nobody strategy. ask, but how, how much – well,
2: okay, this wouldn't be something a judge would ask, but uh, – If you're sitting there wondering – this is Arizona, correct? Yep. If you're sitting there wondering what was the margin between Biden and Trump, it was
0: 0.3%. Yep, yeah. So,
2: yeah, 0.15 is half of that margin. It's
0: half of the margin. Yeah, indeed it is. That would be a really, really, really good argument if anybody on the right wing of the Supreme Court uh, cared, uh, which uh, they – they do but not in the way you're thinking. <laughs> um, they 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 want like the, the the strategy is uh they want to uh endorse Republican state legislatures being able to come up with, you know, a dozen yeah, different mechanisms. Yeah, as long as they each only each restrict, each individually yeah. restrict a couple percent. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, and that will turn a close i mean we saw this in georgia and you know we're going to we're going to break down next week uh georgia house bill 531 that just passed um, there's another one that's that's in the hopper georgia's a 50-50 state and if you uh suppress you know 0.15% here and 0.15% there like you can you can turn that into 52-48 really easily and that's the difference between Georgia and North Carolina. Right. And another couple of points is the difference between North Carolina and South Carolina. And, um, you know, it's oh, we these, need those points. These, <laughs> yeah. These small differences at the margins add up really, really quickly. So um, so there you go. I'm sorry to have this be disappointing. This is yeah. the way in which we fight to fight back against this is nationwide voter protection. I was going Well, that was
2: going to be my question. So how much of this, and I know we already touched on this a little bit, but this is a lot to keep track of. I'm not a, a lawyer like you are. How much of this stuff is stuff that can be solved with federal legislation, voting rights, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, all that kind of stuff. And how much of it will states still be able to tinker on and, and kind of mess with?
0: So two things. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act would, would be crucial here because there are, as of February 19th, right, so uh, uh, three weeks before we record, but that's the last time the Brennan Center updated their numbers, 253 bills pending in 43 different states that are classified as bills to restrict voting access. Almost every state in the country 253 different pieces of legislation now look differing levels of likelihood of getting passed uh, but if you pass uh the john lewis voting rights act and you reinstate section five of the voting rights act of 1965 then each and every one of those new laws must get pre-clearance must be signed off on by a court uh using heightened standards and things like this that you know may Skate by at the Supreme Court level on Section Two um, would not pass Section yeah, Five. Yeah, I just, I just hope having. that yeah.
2: the Supreme Court is actually going to follow that. <laughs>
0: like, I, I feel like they could still just kind of screw us, even even if. Well, all of the all of the voting the pre-clearance does not go to the Supreme Court, right? It ah, goes to okay. a three judge panel uh, constituted at the U.S. District Court. For the District of Columbia, right? So these are district court judges. And do they get to
2: appeal it up or anything if it goes the the way the bad guys don't
0: want? (laughs) They they do, they do. But that's where hopefully, uh, building on an established base of law, like you know we we might be able uh, to to peel away a Clarence Thomas um, when it is. Here I thought uh, we were ending on a good note, and then you're like,
2: "Yeah, hopefully we can appeal to Clarence Thomas." I'm out. You lost me.
0: <laughs> understood. Understood. <laughs> uh, but look, you know, the more the more obstacles are placed in the path, right? Like, yeah. So you know,
2: you, you, you no, if, I mean, you're right. There do seem to be some rules still. You know, it hasn't yeah. been a total
0: free for all. Um, yeah. and I, you know. I said we're still going to do this podcast, right? It's not the purge. <laughs> um, <laughs> Laws still mean something. My it, does, it, it does. Yeah. Yep. No, and so. you're
2: right. It does. It's just it yep. is hard to know where that line is. And it feels like in recent years, it's felt a little more like we're on just kind of thin ice sometimes with these things where it's like, well, yeah, it should work out. Uh, <laughs> or yep. maybe the Supreme Court just decides not to follow the law that it should. I don't know. Yeah,
0: and and look, there are going to be lots of terrible decisions coming out of the Supreme Court for the foreseeable future. So I don't, I, you know, right. I, I I'm going to have us end on that pessimistic note. So here's what I want you to be looking for when the court rules on this in in about three months' time. Um, you're looking for the word substantial in the opinion Mm. that is not anywhere in the voting rights act. uh, But my prediction is that the court is going to write that word into the statute and (sighs) say, Oh yeah, well, you know, 0.015%, you know, uh, whatever.
2: Opening arguments is brought to you by paint your life. I love paint your life. I talk about this every time the painting that I have of Lydia and our beautiful daughter, Phoebe, on the beach. It's one of my favorite things that we have in our house. It will be on any wall, wherever we live, as long as we are alive. It is that beautiful and it's that meaningful. And if you have somebody, wife, grandparent, you're maybe your parents, uh, if you have somebody, you're shopping for the perfect birthday, wedding gift, anniversary gift, I highly recommend Paint Your Life. Here's how it works. You get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo At a truly affordable price, you choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. The user-friendly platform lets you order a custom-made, hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. It's a quick and easy process, and you get that hand-painted portrait in about three weeks. You send them any picture or even combine photos to make the perfect painting. At PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word OA to 64000. That's OA to the number 64000. Text OA to 64000. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply, available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. And one more time, text OA to 64000. And thank you! And now it's time to thank our top patrons, our Hall of Famers, our all-time greats, on patreon.com slash law. And it's your turn first, Andrew. All right. Thank you
0: to Tell Morgan, Gitom son. I, I still don't know what that means. I'll, maybe I'll have to ask her. Uh, to Amy Hensley, to January 20th, baby. To contact your doctor for an insurrection lasting more than four hours. Thank you to Lauren, Zach Bloom. Ding dong, the Trump is gone. (laughs) Thanks to non-binary, omnisexual, satanic socialist in Republican clothing. Thanks to the Friday Night Fan Fiction Podcast is making Peter Griffin and SpongeBob's romantic relationship canon. All right. Thanks to Legal Eagle is so handsome sure is. Why would Durst choose to be a freaking joke and abandon credibility? California employment, work accident, or litigation questions. Call or text attorney David Nitka, 310-776-5879. Again, that's 310-776-5879, attorney David Nitka. Thanks to the Smiths, Biden Borked the Streak, October 23rd, 1987. Thanks to Carve Outcast on Stone Mountain Now. Thanks to Richard Scott. Jacob Daniel Murphy, Ted Cruz's seasonal migrant caravan, Adam Borichoff. Banking law is exciting. No, really, I swear, When I hear about the new comptroller? I do. <laughs> do you have 800 pages I can read about the new comptroller? Thanks to, I have nothing funny to say this week, so I thought I would just remind everyone that Ted Cruz can go clownhorn himself. The Texas outages were caused by Benedict Cumberbatch being nice to a child. Thanks to, rest in peace, Brandon Bernard. We must abolish the death penalty. Yes, we must. Thanks to, the next five seconds are brought to you by Sparkle. Donkey Tequila, proud sponsor of both Streak Borkers and non Streak Borkers everywhere. <laughs> Thanks to The Coterie, Business Success with Salesforce. Find us at www.thecoterie.io. Thanks to oh, our buddy uh, Budget Botanist on Fiverr. Unporking advice for your houseplants. <laughs> Listing for years, still can't come up with something clever. Thanks to Saint Fourteen Sexy Metal Ass, <laughs> level up canine. Take your dog to the next level. Memphis area dog trainers. Oh. thanks to becoming a patron to get five episodes a week, and I finally caught up on months of backlog. Thanks to new book, the greatest gift of all: a Logical Path from Religion to Humanism by Mark McLean, out now. Uh, Avril Parks, I have it on good authority that Andrew Seidel is QAnon. <laughs> <laughs> I like my pork streaks paired with, casa, with at Casa Agria and at Emperor's Brewery Beer. All right. Thanks to Diane Resignstein. That's such a great name. <laughs> Regression to the meme. My wife got a COVID vaccine and all I got was the chance to wait until my turn. Yeah, well, you know. Wait until your turn. <laughs> GD Tree says, as an Australian, OA-466's coverage of Murdoch's political power here was appreciated. Well, I'm glad you appreciated it. Thanks to Thomas Kleberg, Buddy Freaking Geyerson, Donald Wizenhunt, idea for a screenplay, Air Bud, man's best amicus. Thanks to Hardod. Well, there, there we go. We've now just gone straight to the joke. I'll need popcorn for when Thomas finally snaps in T3BE Gate Episode 3, <laughs> Revenge of the Smith. I like that Mm -hmm. our country went on an attempted coup and all we got were these lousy hearings thanks to two fabulous lesbians who will drive to a Chicago live show if the host will have drinks with us yep you're on contract done done and done thanks to edgy veggie one smart cookie set cutters Thanks to Pop Newhouse, sassy Italy tourist thinks, oh, I must record a show from the balcony overlooking our favorite Piedmont vineyard when this is all over. We're in on that, too. Thanks to Les Deux Lesbiennes Fabuleux. Thanks to Jennifer Chakowsky, A Republic If You Can Keep It. Oh my God, there is absolutely no way I'm reading this Patreon name. No, just no. A String of Unconstitutional Laws, Mike call. Greg Crimer. Maybe if we just call that place Dakota Territory again, they will stop sending people to DC. <laughs> Say it with me, Amicus. Nuzzly Fuzzly Torsten Peel of the Satanic Temple. Yes. I'm not even a tortfeasor and I'm kicking your ass. Thanks for the Zelda info, but what is Penelope up to? (laughs) Angry Macface, sorry, Andrew, Uncle Frank is too far gone. Penelope is ranting about Terpsichorus cryptography. <laughs> Thanks to the Books That Burn podcast, reviewing fictional depictions of trauma since 2019. TIL, if a horse isn't from the Champagne region of France, it has to be called a sparkling donkey. <laughs> Thanks to Who is Bigger, Mr. Bigger Mr. Bigger's Baby, the Baby is a Little Bigger, and Used Rugged Rubber by Baby Buggy Bumpers. Thanks to I Move for a Bad Insurrection Thingy. Uh, thanks to so. If eminent domain has been on the whiteboard since forever, what's on the blackboard? Murray Gregerson, a tutor who tutored the flute, tried to tutor two tutors to toot. Said to, said the two to the tutor, it's easier to toot or to tutor. Uh, change my Patreon name so that I don't jump every time you read it simple country hyper chicken this week's T3B question brought to you by porked exams <laughs> LLC a Maryland limited liability company wholly owned by P. Andrew Torres <laughs> oh, that's excellent thanks to crazy corgi I move for a bad court thingy thanks to time to rewatch one of my all time favorite movies Mars Attacks Ooh. Uh, oh no I think that's I think that's supposed to be Mazars Attacks oh yeah uh, okay uh, uh Mazar Maza- uh, right. Mazar Th- They're, they're yeah. trying to get us to, yeah uh-huh. say Mazar's attacks. There we go. All right. The tame Team's tame tick's sixth trick. <laughs> <laughs> A link to the past is definitely the third best Zelda game. You use Evian skin cream, and sometimes you wear O to opening arguments, but not today. Seattle Pete Brent Meddling. Jake, I became a patron because this is the best podcast ever. I apologize for never changing my Patreon name. See more butts. Exceeding the speed limit is breaking the law. Stop breaking the law, assholes. Christopher Brown, stop. Ask a question a cat law, the cat lawyer would ask. <laughs> Lawful Copter says, Andrew and Thomas from the bottom of my heart, thank you for everything you guys do. You've encountered a CR28 T3BE question. Everyone, roll for initiative. Thanks to the wheels of justice turn faster than the speed, which I changed my Patreon name. Two fabulous Andrew Seidel's butt cheeks, (laughs) Odin the Law Dog, and Zirkel. And whoo, take it away, Thomas. All right. Thank you, Robert M.
2: I want Lottobots inform and roll out merch. Nice. For real, screw these transphobes. Josh Hoku. Check out Ring Runner and Brigador on Steam, two slightly mad indie labors of love that do not deserve their obscurity. Polly Hernandez, I am the real Derek Savage. I love your show, but don't come looking for me. I'm warning you. Hey, everybody. We're all going to get laid. Emily Rainbow Spence, those of us who studied history are doomed to watch everyone else repeat it. Jason Kopus, Hot Spear suggests Biden pardon a nonviolent drug offender every day until Republicans agree to limit President's parting power. Earth Court 2 Final Judgment, I'm here live. I'm not a cat. I won't commit perjury. Hey everybody, we're going to get laid off, requesting and looking forward to EFF related deep dives, woo tech law, Nate Drex, Darth Mandy Pants, give to modusneeds.org, give to modusneeds.org, not that Chris Wallace, Bible Adventures is the best Zelda game, holding my breath until Thomas gets a bar exam question right, oh wow, okay. Ooh, well, you're, 13th you're in century trouble. Saxony gravel truck lawyer, I am the bad things that happen in Philadelphia, stay gritty. Diogenes the Cynic was right. Jeff Galbach, Jennifer Cratch, the ex parte parrot is just sleeping. Don't take legal advice from a cannibal. (laughs) CivilPoliticsRadio.com, Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern on Valley Free Radio. John Bilderback, dude, ever so slightly hopeful that we can have nice things again. Stephen Balticaté Sandoval, imagine dying on a hill based on the pronouns of a toy potato. (laughs) (laughs) Philip Kaiser, Andrea the Arbitrary and Capricious, you tell me the definition of a sandwich and I'll tell you if a crunch wrap. An old ode to the yodeler's bold bread dough is a sourdough yodel for ye old bold dough bros. <laughs> okay. Absion, Alfred Wallace, Payne's Trumpet. Trambulus, let me be slightly more explicit because I like being slightly more explicit. Taking OA half of 1% of the way to Facebook riches. <laughs> Jonathan, Trump wanted four seasons, got Doubletree. In the karaoke system, the people are represented by two parties. The songs and the karaoke legends that sing them. <laughs> Dun, dong dong. <laughs> Tarkin, Finn, Tim, Lin, Bim, Win, Bim, Lim, Bus Stop, Tang, Tang, Only Biscuit, Barrel. Silly party. Milo, Meadsong, Esquire, Halfling Bard, and Attorney at Law. Join your labor union. Uh, together we bargain alone, we beg. Phil the kilobuster <laughs> Is a reptile dysfunction having too many reptiles or too few? Asking for a friend. <laughs> I'm not getting older. I'm leveling up. James K. My face when I think I finally came up with a clever name, but is read wrong and nobody gets it. In Manhattan, DA's office, we pronounce pronounce it Mazars. <laughs> Anonymous. origins.org. your source for legal terms from 13th century Saxony. Two fabulous ex parrots. <laughs> RIP Notorious RBG. Therese Chan really misses traveling. Ba weep, grana weep, nini bong. Wear a mask, wash your hands, watch your distance, welcome the vaccine. They said I could be anything, so I became two fabulous lesbians. Derek, big easy blasphemy. It's kind of nice having a competent federal government again. SummitShuffleBoard.com. A string of unpronounceable characters. Dork.com Andrew is my favorite Thomas co host. Aaron is close second. Malika Chandler, Tricular Manslaughter. Soggy Pants, Buttercups Legal Services says, Thank you for bringing Morgan on again. Per. I don't. Yeah, it's just PR. Adam Costa, Jay Alden, Walt, Matthew Vernon, Betty Botter bought a bit of butter, but the bit of butter Betty Botter bought was bitter, so <laughs> Betty Botter bought a better bit of butter. <laughs> Adopt a homeless <laughs> pet and depose declawing and ear docking. jure belly et facies set last, baby. Andrew on hardcore history. <laughs> hardcore history would make an episode last until the heat death of the universe, and that would be a lightning round. Yeah, true. Heather L. Jeremiah's Fancy Microwave Emporium, Ian and Ally, Danny Rosari, Eli Bosnick, David and Brooklyn, Teresa Gomez, Sam Denell, Mitchell. No Commutes so beyond on podcasts. If Trump gets a grand jury probe, would Trump Jr. get a petite grand jury poke? <laughs> I agree with that one hundred percent. Natasha Crunchrap wants you to support the Justice Policy Institute, Sam Buck, and Conrad Michaels, our eternal champion. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, no associate this firm has ever failed the bar exam. No kidding now it's time for
2: T3B answer time. Uh, I, you know, I shouldn't get my hopes up, but I still, you know, I'm going to get my
0: hopes up. I feel like maybe there's a chance I porked my streak. Let's find out. So this was a question about a, uh, a man who kept German shepherds on his property that he had trained for guard duty and that he holds for breeding purposes. Um, His neighbor uh, had loaned him a snow shovel and then showed up in summer to uh, uh, get the snow shovel back, um, entered the fenced in yard uh, and was uh, attacked by one of the dogs and severely injured. When uh, the neighbor sues the man, is he likely to prevail? Um, And you went with. D, yes, because the man was engaged in an abnormally dangerous activity. And I'm going to cut to the chase. You've not worked the streak. So, Thomas, I think you remembered like 85%, which is why you got right. hit by the, by the attractive distractor here. Yeah. Um, abnormally dangerous activity is strict liability. And D yep. would be correct uh-huh. if – Right and as you pointed out like right like Eli Bosnick's lava Emporium, right yeah. like um abnormally dangerous activities trained and killer dogs apparently not so, one of those things. So wild animals are considered oh an abnormally dangerous activity uh and keeping them is is inherently dangerous uh-huh. trained Domesticated animals are not considered. Yeah, a wild dangerous. animal, which might be
2: fifty, you know, like that. Just if it's killer wild animal, that's just chance. But one you specifically trained to be a killer animal, that's fine. That's not too Yeah, <laughs> that's,
0: awesome. That is right. Cool. So, so you know, it's fitting
2: that I would still get this one wrong in this way. Yeah. That's uh, that's fantastic. Impossible, can't be done.
0: <laughs> so the actual answer is A. No, because the neighbor knew that the man had dangerous oh, dogs. Hey, at least I the got dog. the second chance. Um, you you, you got the second chance. And, and what this is really testing, like many bar exam questions, th- there are two issues that this is testing. So first, it was testing the abnormally dangerous activity question, right? And it was like, are we going to get you with, are you going to remember animals, but yeah. not wild animals? And you got right? me. And we got you. If you had made it through and said, no. Wild animals, yes. Domesticated animals, you're not strictly liable. So then the question is, what's the status of the person, the neighbor, coming yeah. back onto the land? And um, there are, and this is where you were, you were giggling. In the, in the shovel, are we? Are we getting shovel <laughs> and, law? And we're, 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 you know, kind of in <laughs> shovel law here. There are three categories of people that can be on your property. And then there are subcategories of each of these. But there can be invitees. Sure. Licensees and trespassers. Okay. Okay. So an invitee. What is an invitee? An invitee is a member of the public who has a right to be on your premises. How do you get a right to be on someone's premises? Well, their business is open to the public. Um, It's a public library or a public park. Why are we talking about public stuff? It's inherent because you you probably guessed by the word invitee. Like if I explicitly invite you onto my property, you are then an invitee. Um, But it is also you are considered an invitee if I run the local Taco Bell and you show up looking to buy some tasty tacos, right? You're like, oh, mm -hmm." two crunch wraps. You're an invitee. The next category down um, and, and an invitee, you owe the highest duty of care when an invitee is on your property. You must uh, keep your – you have to affirmatively keep your your property free of dangerous conditions. You have to perform regular inspections. You have to fix hazards. Um, This is why the ice cream store mops up the spills, right? Slip and fall cases are incredibly easy to prove when you're an invitee because the property owner has the highest duty of care. All right. Trespasser, lowest duty of care. Yeah, uh, a trespasser cannot sue you for negligence. Okay, what a trespasser can sue you for is the combination of if you set up an attractive nuisance, um, and you yeah. know you have the the open swimming pool and it's yeah. not gated I'm off. I'm an attractive right? nuisance. You sure are. <laughs> um, or if you have like. Home alone style man traps on your island, you know, on your yeah. on your island, yeah. on your property. Then we say uh, you owe a duty to even a trespasser, somebody who is illegally on your premises. Yeah, uh, you know, not to set up the like two paint cans the that paint I can come cans. down and yeah, <laughs> crush their skull. So you have some duty to trespassers, but it, but it's a pretty minimal one, right? It's the don't kill them. In the middle are licensees. And licensees are people who are invited onto the premises, but not for your benefit as the property owner. So the classic example is like when your neighbor shows up on your porch, knocks on the door, right? Somebody that's been over there before, uh, they show up, they knock on the door and you can say, oh, you know, Thomas, come on in. Uh, They would then become an invitee. Or you say, oh, hey, Thomas, I'm sorry, I'm super busy. I'm just about to record the show, uh, come back in a couple of hours. But they're actually physically on your property for that you know for that exchange all of that is to say that the d- despite the 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 language in C uh, which is meant to to tip you off to this mm-hmm. the neighbor coming back to get his snow shovel is yeah. probably a licensee okay they're not explicitly invited onto the premises but you have reason to think they might show up he's allowed. he's not he's not illegally on the premises i did
2: think it was a little weird that because someone borrowed something it didn't feel like oh therefore you can anytime go get it and it's fine like you have the maximum duty of care or whatever
0: yeah Exactly. So you have the mid-range duty of care. Okay. It's not an abnormally dangerous activity. So therefore, ordinary, premise, ordinary principles of negligence apply. And here, the ordinary principle of negligence is, were you aware of this particular risk? Um, and the answer is yes, right? So yeah. property owner is required. So to So I did notify. get A over B,
2: um, C not as ridiculous as I might have thought, and also the test is porked. I still can't get an answer right.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's that's bad. a that's a
2: fiendishly difficult question, honestly. Like that's because I, like I remembered the abnormally dangerous thing, and it came down to whether it's a wild animal or a. I just love the idea that you can keep keeping a wild animal would be more <laughs> dangerous than keeping a animal you trained for murder. Like I, I love that. What if, if I train a tiger to where it just instantly kills you? Is that fine? That's fine. No. But if I keep like a wild chicken or something that I found, like a if I keep like a raccoon, that that's. Oh, I that, love the idea of a wild chicken. That'd be great. I, they exist so, what are you talking about there's wild chickens everywhere no, there's a, a, a town uh nearby pecks you, pecks God, to where is it there is there some uh fair Oaks or full some town near me where they just have chickens everywhere it's weird it's like they're it's like their thing they're just everywhere like if you drive around
0: there's just chickens so anyway I, I I just finished reading the um the a libertarian walks into a bear. If you haven't read that yet, I, <laughs> I that highly too. recommend it. It's I so am good.
2: illustrating in a very compelling fashion here, Andrew. Why this test is porked, and why you I'm are. right, and the test is wrong. And yeah. I think I've gotten all these right almost. I, sometimes, sometimes yeah. I, you know, no one's perfect. I've missed a few, but uh, yeah, the idea that <laughs> oh, a, a nobody's
0: it, a Thomas. animal
2: <laughs> trained for murder more safe than a uh, you know a squirrel that I trapped and keep on my property. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I better make, in the past, I've been so upset. I don't even, I forget to ask you who our winner is. Uh, but I better do my job. You got to be a professional. Who is this week's winner, Andrew?
0: Well, Thomas, this week's winner is just a snarky German on Twitter who got it exactly right. And uh, our snarky German says, wouldn't the warning signs and existence of a fence mean the owner did show due diligence to prevent an accident? I'd strongly argue for a also that he entered, quote, to get back a shovel or whatever it was. Implies to me he had no invitation and did not announce his visit beforehand. Yeah. In that tiny little tweet, our snarky German manages to get not only the proper standard, but uh, also the distinction between invitees, licensees, and trespasses. So uh, congratulations, just a snarky German on being this week's winner. And everyone, give that person a follow. That is at not here to tweet three on Twitter. I wonder who got numbers one and two. Anyway, everyone give a follow to at N-O-T-H-E-R-E-T-O-T-W. W E E T and the number three and congratulations German on being this week's winner.
2: And that's our show reminder to catch us on the stereo app every Wednesday at 5. PM Pacific 8. PM Eastern. That means this Wednesday, cause that's uh, every Wednesday. It's a lot of fun. We're going to hear your questions. We get to hear your voice. It's, it's, it's so much fun. Uh, we love interacting with you. So go find us on the stereo app. Get it on your phone. Thanks so much, and we'll see you for Rapid Response Friday. Until then. I move
0: for a bad court thingy. You mean a mistrial? Yeah, that's why you're the judge and I'm the law talking guy.
1: This has been Opening Arguments with Andrew and Thomas. If you love the show and want to support future episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash law. If you can't support us financially, it will be a big help if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast delivery vehicle you use. And be sure to tell all your friends about us. For questions, suggestions, and complaints, email us at openarguments at gmail.com. The show notes and links are on our website at www.openargs.com. Be sure to join the Facebook group at facebookcom groups slash Yodel Mountain, and follow us on Twitter at OpenArgs. This podcast is a production of Opening Arguments Media, LLC, All Rights Reserved. It is produced with the assistance of transcriptionist Heather Loveridge, production assistant Ashley Smith, and additional contributions from Morgan Stringer and Deborah Smith. Special thanks to Teresa Gomez, who runs our live shows and heads up the OA Wiki. Follow at OA Wiki on Twitter. Additional thanks to the moderators of the Opening Arguments Facebook community, Emily Waters, Alicia Cook, Eric Brewer, Natalie Newell, Brian Ziegenhagen, and Teresa. And finally, thanks to Thomas Smith, who edits the show and created the fabulous theme music, which was used with permission.